Welcome to Navigating Widowhood, when happily ever after turns into now what? I'm your host, Julie Martella. Whether you're just starting on this journey or you've been here for a while, I'm here to provide you with support, guidance, and a little dose of humor. So, are you ready to get started? Let's go. Episode 2, Your Brain on Grief. Welcome back, and I'm so glad you're here. Before we begin, I want to share a couple of things with you. Number one, I'm making a promise to you today that I'm going to keep the podcast short, as in less than 20 minutes short. Let's face it, we have the attention span of a gnat, and I'm respecting that. And number two, I want you to know that my brain works well with visual pictures, so you will often have a visual, I will give you a visual of concepts. I'm not diminishing them, and I know it's simplifying them, but the trick is when you bring up the mental picture, you also have the concept, and you have it in its entirety. So anyway, you're going to hear lots of uh, descriptive pictures from me. Now that this housekeeping is done, let's get on with our episode. I want to start this episode with a question. Have you ever felt like you literally lost your mind when your person died? Did you ever experience a period of time when you couldn't remember what you had done two minutes before? Did you ever put your keys in the freezer? Or did you ever walk around looking for your keys while your keys were in your pocket? (laughs) Did you ever forget where you were going while you were supposed to be going there? Well, I may or may not have done all of those things and more. And I'm so glad that there's actually a reason why. (laughs) The reason is not that you're crazy. Things are happening in your brain when you experience loss. You are experiencing a process called neuroplasticity, as well as a fight between your limbic system or the primitive brain, and the prefrontal cortex, or the modern brain, or the thinking brain. So, first of all, I just gave you lots of words, and you might be wondering, what in the world is neuroplasticity? Well, neuroplasticity refers to the brain's ability to change and adapt to change throughout the span of our life. It forms new connections between neurons and it alters the connections between existing ones. And it allows the brain to learn and develop new skills and ability and to recover from injuries or illnesses or the death of our person. I want you to think of it as taking a trip to Disneyland. If you go to Disneyland in California... You take the I-5. It's massive. It has neon lights and giant billboards and directions, and, and sometimes it's 10 lanes wide. All right? That massive freeway is like our neural pathways. So <clears throat> what happens when a giant earthquake blows up the I-5? 
Well, we have to find another way there. And it takes time and it's confusing. And there might be twisted roads or dirt roads and lots of stoplights. Do we get there? Eventually, because Disneyland hasn't gone anywhere. But it's exhausting. And the brain is working so hard to find new pathways. So with that, with that thought in mind of the um, superhighway and our neural pathways, um, I want to give you the example of brain damage. So I have lots of brain damage. Um, and one of the things that was damaged was language. So in my brain, I had lots of thoughts, but there's a different place between where your thoughts are formed and how they come out, the verbal expression of those thoughts. That connection broke. So I had to learn new ways to get the thoughts out of my head. So do you know what happens when we have to form these new connections? We get tired. This is why you're so tired, my friends. Our grief works in the same way. As we process our emotions and our thoughts related to the loss, our brain begins to form new neural pathways and it strengthens the existing ones. Now, those new pathways won't be nearly as strong as the old ones. Think about it. My old pathways regarding Jason, I had for 20 years. I was 45 years old when he died. Actually, no, no. We had just turned 46. We were, we were one day apart. So you have a visual picture of a 46-year-old person, right? They're, they're adults. They're fully functioning. They're doing their thing, okay? Those are the old neural pathways. My new neural pathways are five. What's the visual picture of a five-year-old? My visual picture is a kindergarten who needs a nap and a snack, Your neural pathways may be 10 months old or two years old. They're not strong. So give yourself the gift of grace. Be gentle with your toddler version of yourself. Have a snack. Take a nap. Your brain is working really, really hard to form the new neural pathways that will take you from where you are today to where you want to be in the future. This process can be beneficial in healing as it helps us reorganize our thoughts and emotions. It finds new ways of coping with loss and it eventually helps us move forward. But it takes time. So, If we continually, oh, here's the other thing about neuroplasticity and building new neural connections. When we're in loss, we're in a place of deep trauma and and sadness and we're in a dark place, right? But here's the thing. If we continually focus on negative thoughts and feelings related to the loss, we will wire our brain to reinforce the negative patterns, And it makes it more challenging to move forward because your brain gets stuck in bad, bad, bad. But if you engage in activities that promote positive neural pathways, 
such as practicing gratitude, engaging in self-care and good self-talk, and seeking the support of loved ones, then those neural pathways will form positive patterns. And positive, hopeful patterns, that's what takes you to your future. That's what takes you to a new future with hope and purpose and meaning. But you won't get there by hiding and dwelling and ruminating and seeking the bad. You have to want to get there. So, and how do we, and the reason that we want to stay in the ruminating and the bad is because we have this thing called the primitive brain. And earlier I talked about that we are having an epic battle between our primitive brain and our uh, prefrontal cortex. So the primitive brain is that if you have a picture of the primitive brain, it would be a caveman. Or um, my favorite picture is the movie with Jodie Foster that was called Nell when the wild woman, like that's the primitive brain. That's primitive Julie. And the primitive brain is the oldest part of the brain. And if you saw it on a diagram, it would be the piece of the brain that sits on top of the spinal cord. It's also known as the limbic system or the reptilian brain. And it is what kept us alive when we were running around in furs with spears chasing woolly mammoths, right? And those of us that had a really good primitive brain, they survived, And those of us that they didn't have a good primitive brain, they didn't survive. So it has benefited us evolutionarily to have a strong primitive brain. The primitive brain regulates essential functions like breathing, heartbeat, and body temperature. Those are called automatic functions. Um, It's also responsible for our survival instincts, including fight and flight and freeze. It does a lot of things. And when you engage the primitive brain, so it's the sympathetic response, say, you know, because your person died and you experienced loss and you're really traumatized, it shuts down your prefrontal cortex, otherwise known as the modern brain. So welcome to the newcomer of the group, the thinking brain, a.k.a. the Einstein. The newest part of our brain is known as the modern brain, the thinking brain, or its official name, the prefrontal cortex. I like to call it the PFC. This brain developed later in our human evolution when the threat of death was no longer constantly on the horizon. We had survived the woolly mammoths and the saber-toothed tigers of the world. This part of the brain allowed us to live in communities with others and to help us begin thinking about our future and to navigate complex problems. And while that part of our brain is pretty nice, it is not as strong as the primitive brain. Because remember, the primitive brain is like the big sister or the big brother of the group. So the the uh, PFC, however, it's responsible for higher order thinking skills like executive functions, um, the things that make us reasoning, the things that give us problem solving, decision making, and language. 
The thinking brain allows us to plan. It allows us to set goals and to make conscious choices. And the last thing it does is it also helps us regulate our emotions and impulses, providing a balance to our instinctive responses. So that way we don't get upset with someone and then try to strangle them. Like that's, thank you, prefrontal cortex. Now, the problem is that during grief, the prefrontal cortex, it helps you make sense of the loss and the grief process. It enables you to understand your emotions, express your feelings, and find ways to cope with the stress and the loss. And it helps you remember the positive aspects of the relationship of the person that you lost, which can also be helpful in the healing process. However, what happens is <clears throat> when, the, when you are triggered in grief, the prefrontal cortex gets shoved to the back seat by the primitive brain. And the primitive brain, because you're in distress, the primitive brain says, no, I've got this. Get in the back seat. You know, it's Captain Caveman driving the car. Einstein got shoved in the back seat and he's duct taped, got a little tape over his mouth. We can't do these processes. And that's why you find yourself struggling to remember things or monitoring yourself or being organized because that part of your brain is offline. So if you notice yourself struggling with any of these functions, you know why. So to wrap this all together in a bow, we need to understand how to help the primitive brain calm down so that the PFC can come back online. So I want you to visualize I want you to visualize. We visualize the primitive brain as like a caveman or a wild, kind of a wild person. I want you to think of your primitive brain also as a child. All right? What does your child, what does the primitive side of you look like? So mine looks like the five-year-old version of Nell, right? She's pretty scruffy. Um, she's not well kept. She's like a little wild child. That's my, that's who's trying to run the show. And then I want you to visualize your calmest and most genuine self. Who is that person? That person is your PFC. So take some time and visualize now the calm adult talking to the child. How would you talk to a child that was upset and like running through the house with scissors and screaming and pitching a fit on the floor and not happy? Are, are you screaming at them? No. You're reassuring them. You're loving. You're kind. You are compassionate. You are all of the things that make you an amazing human being. And the message that comes across is that you've got this. And you can tell the little version of you, the primitive version of you, it's okay. I know you're scared, 
but I've got this. And the more in touch you can get with the primitive side of yourself, with the the caveman, with the little person, then the calmer they will become. And the calmer the primitive brain gets, that's when the prefrontal cortex can take back over. And that's when you start noticing the progress. So take some time this week and just think about how can you show up to the hurting, the primitive side of yourself with love and compassion. I hope this was helpful. And remember, you've got this and I'm here to help. Thank you for turning in to Navigating Widowhood. I hope this podcast has provided you with valuable insights and support as you navigate the challenges of Life 2.0. Please note that the information provided in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the medical advice from a qualified professional. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave me a review on your favorite platform because it helps others find us. And as always, thanks for listening.